Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Another incredible episode of Market Impact Insights, and this is the launch of the video version of this podcast, which is really exciting. The other big milestone today is we have reached episode number 50. So uh, that is a huge milestone, and I want to thank everyone for the continued feedback, uh, the encouragement, uh, the, the positive comments. Please keep that coming. You can easily rate and review out on Apple Podcast. Uh, that's the easiest way to do that. And today's topic was really sparked by uh, a research update that I recently looked at, and this was looking at the C-suite, and it was looking at the average tenure of the leaders in the C-suite. And uh, I really zeroed in on a number where the chief marketing officer actually, in this survey of 1,000 organizations in the U.S., had the smallest or the, the briefest average tenure uh, at uh, an average of 3.5 years. And in technology companies, it was even shorter at three years. But what really, really caught my eye was comment from a Karen Flight, who was the leader of the global marketing officers practice. And she was commenting on the uh, results and what was going on in terms of this short tenure and saying that the short CMO tenure is a reflection of a lack of understanding of how powerful this role can really be in driving business outcomes. So it's clear that uh, we don't have a full appreciation or many people don't have a full appreciation for just how important this chief marketing officer role is. And so I'm thrilled to have a chief marketing officer in the house with me today, all the way from Boston in Ross Daniels. And Ross certainly uh, knows a lot about marketing. Uh, he is uh, in the CMO role at Calabrio, which is a leading software solutions company to support contact centers. And Ross uh, has a very, very in-depth career, lengthy career across many different facets, including product marketing, including channel marketing, and now in this CMO role. Uh, he's been in, uh, with Calabrio since 2017. He's responsible for all of the global marketing efforts, including digital marketing, demand generation and pipeline marketing, content strategy and creation, customer marketing, partner marketing. Wow, Ross, you do it all. Corporate communications, it's all uh, there. And prior to joining Calabrio, Ross spent, uh, and this really, I hadn't thought about it. Ross and I worked together at Cisco, but Ross was at Cisco for 18 years in a variety of different roles there, including product management, product marketing, and uh, also uh, served as the senior director of collaboration marketing for Cisco's nearly $5 billion collaboration business. So Ross knows a lot about that space. He knows a lot about marketing, and I can't wait to jump into the conversation with him today. Ross? Welcome to Market Impact Insights. Well, thanks so much, Dan. Uh, thanks so much for the kind introduction as well. It's uh, it's a, a little overwhelming sometimes to to hear. First of all, the 18 years at Cisco always uh, kind of gives me a little bit of a jolt. Um, but uh, 
uh, I will say on the years uh, question, you know, I am now uh, six weeks into my tenure at CMO. So I guess the countdown has begun. I'm a little nervous about the <laughs> three years average. That means that some people at least are, are less than that even. So uh, hopefully I can uh, can buck that trend a little bit and, uh, and have a, a lengthy career as a CMO at Calabria. Absolutely. You're going to be on the other side. You're going to be pulling that average up, Ross. I'm pulling sure that, that average up. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Well, I want to start going back to the beginning of your career because actually before you got into all of these really important marketing roles, you started your career on the uh, analysis side, right? You were a business analyst. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about what uh, that uh, maybe prompted you to think about in terms of your career trajectory and, and what prompted that move over to marketing. Sure, sure thing. And, you know, it's uh, titles are interesting and career path uh, is is an interesting one. Um, you know, I, I sort of got into technology uh, through through a startup I had done even before uh, the, the business uh, analyst role. I uh, had done a few years at an ad agency and sort of, you know, very entry level sort of copy uh, editor, copywriter type role, and then moved into the account exec account service side for a bit. And, you know, was seeing at that time, you know, just how interesting the technology space was and wanting to, to get into there. So I actually took a break, got my MBA full time, um, which my wife gratefully paid for, thankfully, um, and uh, well, while she was working um, and found myself an internship at, uh, at a local startup outside of Boston that was uh, sort of uh, adjacent to the contact center space, a little company called Webline. Um, and stayed on there after graduating uh, from business school. And uh, the business analyst title was uh, chosen by my my boss at the time because it was his, the first title he had out of business school. So he uh, he's like, well, well you're going to do a lot of different things, um, and some of it will be you know, more analytical. Um, what it ended up being, Dan, was responding to, I don't know, like a hundred RFPs in the span of about four months. I became sort of the RFP expert, uh, which was a great way to just learn everything about the product and the market and just kind of get my, my grounding there. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to say that I had this sort of path and vision for becoming a CMO, uh, just not the case. Um, if, if anything, it was just, you know, being at the right place at the right time in a few different instances and, uh, and being curious about a lot of different areas. Um, Webline was acquired by Cisco uh, three months into my tenure there. So, you know, my dreams of uh, working in a startup in a small environment at that time were sort of dashed. Uh, and was brought into, uh, obviously, you know, big uh, Cisco, which, you know, we're talking 1999. So really at the heart of uh, the sort of dot-com run-up and all of that, Cisco briefly was the most uh, valuable company in the world in terms of market caps. I was there for, for all of that piece. Um, and just sort of explored different areas. Uh, so explored product management a little bit. Uh, explored product marketing um, and just sort of found my path more up through the product marketing path than anything else. Uh, when I think about myself as as a as a marketer and in my interest in marketing, they tend more towards storytelling. Um, as I'm looking at uh, how long I've been talking now, I, I think about that storytelling and maybe being uh, briefer in my stories. <laughs> but um, you know, that's kind of been a guidepost for me. Is is you know how do we tell good stories in marketing and how do we get our point across with really compelling messaging um, that that resonates with uh, with a buyer. Uh, and to me, that that starts and ends with storytelling. 
Sure, sure. And you know, you've recently been promoted now into the chief marketing officer role. And we're in the 21st century. And I know you talked a little bit about analytics um, earlier. And times have changed. We're in unprecedented times, obviously, for a number of reasons. But to you, what feels different about this marketing leadership role as a CMO than maybe was the case five or even 10 years ago? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, five years ago, even certainly 10, but, but even five years ago, you could kind of get away with being a, um, you know, marketing is an art uh, sort of person. Um, I was that person five years ago. And um, I think what we see today is that, that you, you can't avoid the science part of it. You need to embrace uh, the data, embrace the analysis part, um, and be data-driven in decision-making, use all of the marketing technology that's available today. And there's some really great tools out there. Um, and so for someone like myself, who, again, was you know, more on the, the product marketing, messaging, positioning side of things, um, how do you weave in um, all of the digital marketing tools uh, that are mm-hmm. available today? And so that that's frankly the thing that I'm most excited about taking this role on now is to really dig into those areas that, that for me are frankly newer. Um, fortunately, I have a fantastic team that's doing that already at Calabrio. I've sort of walked into a really high functioning team and a really great situation at a great company. Um, and what we're doing in, in digital marketing is, I mean, it's hard for me to, to argue that it's not world-class. Um, it just, it feels like we're doing the right things there um, from, again, using the right tools, having a business development rep function that reports into marketing, a tight tie-in with sales. It's just, it, it, that feels right to me. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you and I both have been in marketing for a long time. And the phrase that I've often heard is, this evolution from art to to more of a science, you know. So science is becoming more scientific, greater level of precision because the tools are just there, you know, to be able to do that, right? So that art to science transition. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's you know, aligning incentives is always going to be super important. Again, I think um, we've seen a, a good shift in um, sort of the connection points between marketing and sales over the last few years and the importance uh, of that. Um, we've all seen the, the statistics of, you know, how much of the buyer's journey happens before they ever reach uh, a seller. And so marketing's role in, um, you know, early uh, stages of uh you know, obviously awareness and consideration and all of that at the top of the funnel becomes so much more important. And, um, you know, within, within our team, what we, you know, we, we align our business development function very closely with uh, field sales reps and the digital marketing function feeds into all of that. So whether it's, um, you know, our, our uh, advertising activity to, to drive inbound or our content program to drive inbound, or our ABT uh, program uh, for outbound uh, marketing led by our BDR team, all of that feeds into how many opportunities, how many meetings can we set for the field sellers? Um, How much marketing generated pipeline can we deliver? And how do we help that pipeline flow through the funnel to closed one? Yeah, having that quantifiable set of targets probably creates that common language with sales, which is very accustomed to having those very specific uh, sales targets, right? Quotas, et cetera. Yeah, that's Absolutely. great. That's great. Now, we, we talked about your background. You have this great breadth 
of background that includes really deep channel experience, very deep go-to-market experience. So how have you been able to leverage uh, your background across those broader areas and, and how that makes a difference coming into your CMO role? Yeah, I, I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, so, you know, I, I sort of left marketing. When I left Cisco, I, I came to Calabrio, um, you know, in a, a new role at the company to sort of lead and build up a, a partner organization. Uh, Calabrio has been partner driven um, for really its entire history. You know, about 80% of our uh, bookings flow through a partner of some type. Um, so there was a uh, all of the elements of, of a channel program and a partner program in place. And I was kind of given the opportunity to really grow that into a fully formed function. Um, and so that sort of brings with, you know, I sort of bring all of that experience along with me as I, as I take that group with me into marketing. Um, and, you know, I think that it's, it's a big challenge to be honest, Dan, uh, to, um, have you know sort of direct demand, which is really what our marketing program is about, but fulfilled largely through excuse me through a partner channel. Um, and so making those sort of handoffs um, you know as smooth as we can is is a big part of that. Um, avoiding channel conflict is a big part of that. Uh, again, we've done a good job, I think, of um, having a very clear sense of what our field sellers do. And again, they will sell to a customer, but they do it in sort of hand in hand with a partner, in most cases, a reseller partner or a technology partner. Um, and so as I think about, you know, bringing all of that experience into marketing, it's certainly it's, you know, how do I help drive, uh, drive leads and drive demand for our partners who then bring us into a deal? That's part of it. Um, but it's also how do I put a message out there? Um, how do we, you know, again, drive opportunities that are Calabrio opportunities, um, but that uh, have space in them uh, for a partner to participate? And so, again, part of that is just having real clear lines of uh, demarcation, what, what a partner does in an opportunity during the you know, pre-sale, during the sale and post-sale. And what does Calabrio do during that time? So those, those are some of the things that I'm bringing in. Um, and then the last thing I'll say on, on this point is, um, you know, that experience um, with uh, with the partner organization and really as an extension of Calabrio sales organization just brings that that field mindset into marketing that much more, which, again, bringing sales and marketing together as much as possible just feels like the right combination today. Yeah, yeah, makes a lot of sense. And we're obviously in really unusual times and the impact of the pandemic has been really significant. It, it's created a whole new set of business challenges. And, you know, one of the things uh, that it has created is the need for this virtual uh, work environment, right? Teams are no longer cohabitating physically. They're trying to use technology to connect virtually. And, you know, as I was doing more research on Calabria, one of the things that jumped out to me on your website was this philosophy of believing in more human human interactions. And of course, teams are all about the dynamic of human interaction. So I'm curious, Ross, um, how has Calabrio approached this, uh, this challenge of uh, the virtual work teams? And are there some things that you've done that you feel has been really successful to keep the team cohesive and, and working together to get through this challenge? Yeah, I think um, you know every company has has obviously faced this over the last uh, year, almost. Gosh, we're really coming up on a year now. Um, 
and you know when we sort of you know packed packed up and went home which happened uh you know around basically march 15th or so march 19th something like that of, of 2020 um we did so um with you know about a week's notice where it was like okay that this is going to happen we don't know how long it's going to be um and i will say that you know Calabria has um generally in, in normal times a very strong in-office culture um we you know, have great facilities and uh and a real sense of community in the office. We do all the sort of, even though we're a 700 person company, we do a lot of the startup y kind of things. There's, there's always food, there's always yeah. uh, happy hours, all the, all the things that kind of bring a community together. Um, and we knew that we would have to sort of reinvent some of those traditions and things like that as a company as a whole. Um, one thing that we do is uh, we do a waffle Wednesday once every oh. the first Wednesday of every month. And so, you know, for, for the first several months um, post pandemic, we had very active waffle Wednesdays. We've sort of tamped them down. I think everyone's put on their quarantine weight and, and doesn't need an extra <laughs> waffle every week. Um, yeah. But, you know, utilizing some of the virtual tools where, you know, we've become a pretty big uh, Microsoft Teams uh, shop. So, uh, doing, uh, we, we use all of the collaboration tools. We still use a ton of WebEx. We do some Zoom as well, but uh, Teams is, is our sort of most uh, typical. Um, and so as with most of these collaboration tools, we you know got heavy, heavy, heavy usage at, at first with lots of Teams channels and uh, active chats and things like that. And then you get fatigue on those things. So they sort of die down. Um, some of my teams um, got into the habit very early on of sort of the daily stand-up with their teams, sort of taking that vernacular from uh, from uh, agile development, and um, and are keeping those going. And usually, like the morning is really just, these are quick check-ins, fifteen minutes, and so the mornings is more like, okay, how's it going? What are we going to do today? Blah blah blah. And the afternoons are more social usually. And again, some of those teams have cut those back a little bit uh, to maybe it's more a couple times a week or it becomes the Friday happy hour. Uh, I will say early on, we did a lot of uh, Friday happy hours, you know, global happy hours and things like that. Um, again, I think as we've, as it's become more normal, um, everyone puts video on, on every call, um, which has been a huge boost. And as again, someone who came from that collaboration world, you, you were there with me at, uh, at Cisco yes. back in the day, um, seeing people finally putting video on in every call is, uh, is really something. Um, and so, you know, for me, especially coming into, to this new role, you know, I'm meeting a, a brand new team. I've got, uh, gosh, around 50 people worldwide, including my, my partner team, as well as my marketing team. Um, and, you know, it's more than half that team that I've, you know, literally never been able to meet in person or shake their hand or anything like that. So um, that's, you know, put, puts me, you know, a little bit sort of not in the position that I'd want to be. So I committed um, and I took this role just after Jan 1. I committed to, you know, 30-minute one-on-ones with every person on the team over the first mm-hmm. couple of months. I'm, I'm not quite finished. I still have a few more. But, uh, you know, just to, to have that connection point, to be able to, you know, understand sort of what do you love about Calabria? What, what challenges are you seeing, you know, Tell me a little bit about yourself personally and let me tell you a little bit about myself personally. So trying to just create those relationships uh, has been important in terms of taking care of the team itself. Um, and then there's there's a, a whole slew of things that we've done to take care of our customers as, as they have moved to, to work from home environments. But that that's a different question. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, when you're in a virtual sense, you know, and it's really good to have that video technology. And I can remember the phrase, this is the year of video collaboration. And then it kept repeating itself, right? Remember? But now that it's here, um, being able to have the visual cues is so much more valuable than anything you can get through uh, through an instant message, through a Slack type messaging application, or even through a phone call, honestly. So um, really, really valuable to do that. And the other really interesting thing about the marketing function is it's typically so interconnected with all the other functions, right? It's just in this wheel and all of the spokes. And then there's typically marketing is just right there in the midst of all of this cross-team coordination and interaction. And so I'm curious, Ross, for your philosophy on how you are continuing to build effective cross-team communications uh, from that marketing leadership role. Yeah, it's uh, clearly one of the most important things that that I can do as a leader that any leader can do. Uh, it's probably one of the most challenging things to do as well. And not only because of the times that we're in, I think it's challenging all the time. Um, I mean, I'm discovering, you know, little silos of communication. Um, and again, it's not, it's not that anyone wants them. It's just sort of natural. You talk within your direct team more than anywhere else. And it's sometimes hard for that good information to seep out or to escape. Um, so, you know, we're doing a few things again, we're, we're trying to, to be a little bit more active in, uh, in teams channels, just sharing information, really encouraging, um, when someone does share something that, that, you know, can maybe another team wouldn't have heard about otherwise, um, actually two, two of the leaders on my team, two of the directors on my team sort of have been hosting this predates, uh, my tenure as CMO, um, these sort of monthly kind of marketing touch point meetings. Um, they're like, well, can we continue these Ross? I'm like, yes, yes. Like, and, and, you know, don't make it my meeting. This isn't like a Ross all hands or a big marketing <laughs> thing. Like do it as a sharing thing. So they actually had one yesterday. I purposefully sort of showed up late and uh, unannounced basically just so that it didn't become anything more than what it was supposed to be. Um, and I tell you the, the sharing there again, especially from, uh, sort of team member to team member, individual contributor to, to the rest of the team uh, is, has, was so valuable to see. Um, and again, I think the trap that we sometimes fall in as leaders is, well, I need to, to push information down. It's my, I know everything at the top and I need to push it all down. Well, the reality is that whatever I know, you know, at, at, at sort of the top of the org chart is minimal compared to what the people who are working on it. So what I'm trying to do is encourage or create these structures where, again, the team members can easily share with each other. Um, and again, I'll, I won't say are incented to do so because we're not doing that, but where it's, again, just highly recognized and highly encouraged. So I'm, I'm trying to do more and more of that. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, people just need the uh, opportunity, the encouragement and uh, the... Uh, the repetition, I think, of the interaction, right? And just the engagement level, especially now uh, more than ever. Absolutely. So it's gr- great, great ideas in terms of how you're supporting that. And we've talked a lot about what's going on inside your company, but let's shift gears and talk a little bit about your customers. Now, obviously we're in challenging uh, business environment and you're providing mission critical software solutions for the contact centers. How have you ch- seen your customers have to pivot 
and change uh, their their business and are their expectations and what they need from you? Are you seeing that change at all really over the last year? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we the, specifically what we provide is the workforce management or workforce engagement management uh, software component for contact centers. So those are things that help, um, you know, contact center agents provide better quality service. It helps to make sure that they're um, scheduled at the right time, that they're able to, to do some amount of sort of self-service uh, scheduling, how they uh, request time off and days off and things like that, which, as you can imagine, um, those things uh, really changed a lot as, uh, as uh, the pandemic hit. Uh, and then, you know, an analytics module that sort of gathers all of the intelligence from different interactions that customers are having with agents. And so, you know, the contact center business, which I know, you know, at least a little bit of uh, from, from me badgering you about it over the years, um, traditionally a very in-person type of business, right? The, the management of contact centers is traditionally has been kind of the management of walking around and so you'd have, you know, giant, I always describe them as giant bunkers somewhere in the, you know, where the real estate's really inexpensive. And you'll have, you know, a few hundred people showing up to work. Well, obviously that's not a great scenario these days, but the way that you managed those, uh, those teams in, in, in that scenario was you'd have a team lead or supervisor that had 10 or 20 agents and they would walk around, they'd plug their headset into the you know computer or the phone of uh, the agent and listen in on calls and be able to coach and things like that, literally walking around with a headset and plugging in. So how do you replicate some of that experience in a virtual world? Well, again, the, the software that we have turns out is really good for managing and monitoring contact center agents, whether they're in a contact center or at home. And so we had in the first month, um, first two months, I guess, uh, we helped, um, companies move about a hundred thousand agents from in-person, um, work to work from home. Um, so for our customers who were already in the cloud, in our cloud, um, that was relatively easy. Um, they just, you know, log in from a browser at home instead of a browser in the office. Um, and for folks who, you know, were on, you know, older systems, we moved them quickly and things like that. So we, we jumped into action on that pretty quickly. Um, we also put together a number of programs and, and marketing and product worked really closely together to put together, um, you know, a number of, uh, sort of, um, free opportunities with some of our partners. So, okay, you know, get, take, take the first three months on us just as you're getting the first hundred agents up and running at home. Um, or, you know, at cost implementation type of, uh, of opportunities as well, as well. So really to our mantra as we, um, as we entered into all of this was, you know, take care of our customers, take care of the, you know, mental and physical health of our employees and take care of the financial health of the company. And it was very intentional that we said, take care of the customers first. And so those are some of the things that we did to do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. It's that level of responsiveness. And I think uh, is going to go a long way. It's like making that investment now, but it'll pay off um, for a long time to come. And speaking of looking ahead at the future, when you think about technology, you think about where contact centers and those interactions are heading, Ross, what makes you optimistic? Hmm. You know, 
contact centers are so so interesting, and it it, it becomes this uh, this really tight knit community. The the folks who are are in this are, are kind of in it for the long haul, and even if you leave, you kind of come back. I was on with a, a Gartner analyst this morning that I've now known for close to twenty years, I think. So it's uh, anyway. Um, so contact centers, though, in some ways they've um, they've stayed the same in in a lot of ways, and in some of those ways, that's not a bad thing. Um, you know, in what excites me though is in the ways that they've changed. Um, the notion that customer experience really does matter, uh, matters to companies' bottom line. It matters in terms of customer retention, that you have chief customer officer is actually a thing at, uh, you know, leading companies now. It's not a, the anomaly that it was a handful of years ago. Um, that, again, these, these CXOs, these chief customer officers are chief experience officers, um, are tracking the customer journey in all elements. And again, that, that can weave into marketing, which is sort of interesting. Um, but, you know, really it's, it's a lot of how do we keep this customer happy for a long, long time. Uh, and so from a technology standpoint, I think the, the, the move for not just systems like ours, but to, you know, other parts of the contact center uh, technology ecosystem moving so quickly to the cloud over the last 12 months um, again, there have been a million studies that you could cite, but it's a, a minimum of three years um, acceleration uh, in terms of cloud adoption in, in contact center, I'd say. Um, just allows for so much more flexibility, allows for much more um, omni-channel or digital service tools, which again, nothing new. Um, that, that's the startup that I joined in 1999 was, was online customer service, um, but it's so much more common today. Uh, to be able to take advantage of those. And then, you know, in terms of what Calabria does, it's just a much richer set of data that we now have access to um, and that we can provide insights on. And again, that's a big part of what we do is is taking these customer ex- uh, experience insights and putting them together and visualizing them for customer service operators uh, so that they can do better. Uh, so that they can improve their, whether it's net promoter score or customer effort or whatever the the metrics that they're really looking to drive, we give them that view that they need um, to be able to make changes to improve. Yeah, I think that uh, desire, that hunger for deeper analytics, uh, that's not going away. That's going to just continue. And it's really probably going to separate, right? When you think about competitive differentiation, those organizations that are able to have the deeper customer insights usually are going to um, have a better chance of success over time. So you're really enabling that. So as we start winding down our conversation, Ross, any other final advice that you'd have for business leaders that are trying to achieve long-term sustainable business growth? Sure. So, you know, for, for business leaders, I guess I would say um, pay attention to the customer. That's kind of a, an easy one. Um, pay attention to the customer, you know, kind of at the expense of almost everything else. Um, it's the lifeblood of your business. Um, you know, don't think of, as some people still unfortunately do, think of the, the contact center or the customer care um, uh, organization as a cost. It is an investment in your business. It's an investment in your customers. Uh, so give the people who are running that business sort of their due respect. 
uh, and give them the tools that they need to be able to be effective. And, and, you know, if I were talking to a CEO, I'd say, go and listen to some of these customer calls. Like you, you've got recordings of, uh, of, of, you know, your customers talking to your service people, understand what their problems are um, and just have that visibility and you'll learn a ton. Um, and then as I think about, um, as I think about marketers in the 21st century, um, I think that was the title of, uh, of our chat today, right? Um, you know, again, I think it's do as much as you can to um, sort of have that 360 view of marketing. Um, you know, we didn't really talk about this, but but this sort of idea of a, a well-rounded marketer and again, there's always going to be a space in marketing for, for the expert and the specialist, right? The person who's just the absolute whiz at digital marketing. And yes, we should celebrate that person and make sure that we're getting everything possible out of that person or the, the, the design dynamo, the brand person, whatever it is. Um, but for marketing leaders, um, I think it's really important to not just understand all of the different elements of marketing, um, but really dive into the business. Uh, again, that's, that's been, again, for me, having um, the, the time really living in the, the channel world um, and being so closely uh, aligned with sales and, and frankly with our services team as well, our implementation, uh, obviously with product, it, it makes you a better business person um, and it makes you a better marketer. Yeah, so true. The power of, of being a generalist from the standpoint of having that practical business experience. There's just no substitute for that. Well, Ross, thanks again for sharing your experience as a 21st century chief marketing officer. I'm going to pre-book our next podcast. I'm going to pre-book that four years out. How about five years out? Because I know we're going to be following your success and your journey well past that average as a CMO. But uh, seriously, thanks again for joining Market Impact Insights today. Thanks so much, Dan. This was great. And a reminder to make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.